Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life better than the first. Today, we're going to do a special show, taking a closer look at yoga and meditation, not just as individual practices, but together, exploring their profound relationship to one another. Now, we know that both of these disciplines have ancient roots with origins that date back thousands of years. But they've also had their own short-term evolution in contemporary Western culture. They've surged into the mainstream as part of an exploding trend in holistic health, spiritual wellness, and mindfulness. But there's much more to these practices than increasing the flexibility of our aging bodies when we realize we can't touch our toes, or finding occasional moments of centeredness to de-stress our stressed out lives that were already stressed before the pandemic. Here today to talk about yoga and meditation are two terrific guests, Lisa Kingsbury and Ken Taub. Lisa has taught yoga for over 20 years and is a certified yoga therapist. She is the director and head instructor of the Ambit Yoga Center on Long Island, where she has a simple overarching goal, make yoga accessible to all individuals who come her way, working with people of all ages, physical conditions, and experiences. Ken, a former advertising executive and Lisa's husband, leads meditation workshops at the Amba Center. While Ken has had a keen interest in Eastern philosophy since his teen years, he went on to a successful career in advertising, design, and marketing. But his interest in Eastern philosophy and yen Zen never diminished, and beginning in 2003, Ken has been leading his mindfulness meditation workshops at Amber Yoga Center. Like Lisa, Ken has a refreshingly direct approach to his teaching. If I can do it, you can do it. So today, Ken and Lisa will give us a quick overview of these practices, and then they will venture beyond the basics, offering insights and examples of how anyone can benefit from both these practices and stay with them through life. So now let's meet Lisa Kingsbury and Ken Taub. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Good to be here. Same here. Okay. So we know that people have lots of different reasons and backstories for how they came to yoga and meditation. So why don't I start with you guys? How did you get interested? I'll start with you, Lisa. Well, I was at a drafting board and a computer screen for many, many hours, a 60-hour long work week as an architect. And uh, I was just the body was just not having it. So somebody suggested, why don't you try yoga? It's, it's good for you. So I just walked in the door and I started stretching. And uh, one thing led to another. And as time went by, my interest increased more and more with regards to what yoga can do for the mind and the body and the spirit. Uh, definitely an, an uplifting practice. And so I moved away from architecture and started training and continued to teach. Wow. And Ken, how about you? I know you've been uh, really interested in, in Zen Buddhism. Yeah, I did. I did. It intrigued me, like a lot of our generation, people who, who uh, grew up in the 60s and 70s. It intrigued me uh, from teenage on. Uh, I went to a couple of Zen centers upstate New York and out in Tassajara uh, near Big Sur in California. And that further whet my appetite. Uh, but then I went on uh, with life 
and did some reading and did a little bit of this and that. And as Lisa and I got together in the mid later 90s, um, and as she was pregnant with our son, who's now a, a young man, both our practices in yoga and meditation elevated. And I started going on retreats uh, in the city and upstate uh, New York and getting more serious about my own practice. Right, great, okay. So good, we, we'll, we'll probably come back and talk more specifically about some of your experiences, but um, uh, let's talk a little bit about just um, about yoga and meditation, some of the basics. Now, I, I, I believe that uh, people can get a good overview from various resources. And later on, we'll talk about where, where you and, uh, and Ken, Lisa, um, have given me some resources that people can use. So rather than go through and say, well, these are all the different types of yoga and meditation, mm-hmm. why don't we talk a little bit about your view and your philosophy and what you try to do in your practice? Well, there's um, my practice informs how I teach. And uh, there is a strong background in uh, uh, the sequence of poses. So the first place you put your toe in the water is just doing the poses and watching and listening and and learning. And so it's this wonderful creation of awareness in yourself. So you don't have to think about, you know, your laundry list. You don't have to think about what's coming up next. So I follow the poses and there's something that magically happens where the mind quiets down, the body feels stronger, and it's just an an amazing practice. So for the most part, when you're practicing at home, that's what's going on. When you're in a class, you have the camaraderie of other people. There's a lightness of being because everybody's in it together. And whether we're falling over in one pose or another, we're having a great time just being together and learning something new. So there's uh, both a sense of being very aware of yourself and your breath and the individual aspects while still feeling like you're part of something bigger. So I I like to create that kind of a community for my students as well as, you know, finding ways to empower ourselves in our bodies and let go of a lot of things that seem to hold us back. Right. And now with, uh, with, with of course, the COVID, uh, you have to do a lot of your stuff online, right? Right, right. Uh, Online has been a very interesting equation because there are so many videos out there, which Mm -hmm. is nice. But uh, what I cultivated and created for my people is this, the Zoom classes where you can still get a sense of the people you used to practice with in person. Uh, Come in and you say hello, and then I can still see them as we as we work together. So I find that that's a nice bridge between having been in class and then being online. But with the, the joy of it is I have people who move to Florida, who live in Virginia, sometimes pop in from California. So it's, it's a really expansive way to practice. So all of it has its benefits between being in person and, and online. Right. Right. So Ken, how about you? Now, what, what's the essence of you for your practice and what you try to impart with people? My own practice and how uh, I facilitate, um, I hesitate to say teach, but how I lead and facilitate the meditation uh, classes that I've done on and off since 2003 
my own practice is different uh, every day. And I can sit anywhere from five to 20 minutes and just let myself settle. We have a dedicated room with the cushions where Lisa often does yoga, which is also serves as, as a guest room. And uh, so we'll go in there and close the door and have a little bit of quiet and sit still. Um, and uh, I'll use a program now called Insight Timer. And it, you can, it times and it has opening and closing bells and chimes. When I'm teaching Ron, um, I am leading people in a way so uh, as to demystify quickly what they might have viewed years ago as something mystical and make it extremely practical for them. And uh, I'll, I'll generally start with a little bit of breathing and then a guided meditation. Well, I'll write something and then have them follow along with their eyes closed before we do about uh, 15 to 25 minutes of quiet meditation. So I'll let them settle. Um, so that's the, that's, that's the quickest overview of what happens uh, uh, in the class for the uh, uh, roughly hour and a half. Right, right. Now, in talking with you guys, there, there just seem to be a lot of interesting connections between yoga and meditation. I mean, there's the issue of breathing. Um, there's, well, there's the issue of sort of flow and, and getting centered for both of these. Talk a little bit with you guys, uh, either one of you, about you know what you see as the relationship. I know you don't teach together. That would be your partners, but you don't teach together, which I think sometimes is a good thing because <laughs> we each have our different styles. Nevertheless, you obviously you know there's a lot of connection between each of you in terms of the way you think about things. Yeah, I would have to agree. There's a uh, very clean, clear crystalline way that Ken teaches and the way that I teach. There's a very direct process uh, in how I teach, more alignment-based, anatomy-based, and there's a certain logic to the sequences. And in the way that we approach both of these aspects, there's a clarity of a path to follow so that anything can happen. You open up to these things. So with regards to meditation, it's kind of a backdoor entry into meditation because people come in and ask questions about Ken's class and, oh, I need to meditate. And it's like, okay, you just sit down and meditate. Well, from a yoga standpoint, most people can't sit still. Nobody, nobody in this day and age, I think, can really sit still. There's always something going on or you're now picking up your phone or checking this or checking that. So, um, if you can't sit still, yoga is perfect. It presents an opportunity to uh, enroll the mind to either learn a new pose or feel a feeling. And then you overlay that sense of concentrating on something with your breath. So you feel very present in your body. And then these longer extended periods of concentration can often lead into a meditative state. Mm -hmm. So they're fleeting, but yet at the same time, this whole process of moving into, uh, say, mindfulness, if you will, brings a great sense of calm and, and peace, as well as with yoga, you're still strengthening your body and there's less aches and pains, so you're not as distracted by it. To, to follow up on Lisa, um, I think it's always important to remind people 
people say, oh, yoga has been around for thousands of years. And it may have, it, it, it may have been. Uh, we practice a more modern yoga that's been around for about 130 uh, years in, in the West. But for a long time, yoga was primarily or essentially a warm-up to do meditation. These poses were not just to be flexible. They were to uh, lead up to, to meditation. Then that was the case in Tibet and India and in the Buddhist uh, nations. Um, and even today, even though most people don't start doing yoga to become future meditation masters, one can lead to another. And people come into yoga and they go, oh, I can't do yoga. I'm so inflexible. I can't even touch my toes. And we will say, really, give us three to six months and talk to us then. And invariably, they say, well, wow, thank you. Um, because they, they can. They, re they really can. It's the same with meditation. People come in in all different states of being and personalities um, and levels of anxiety and agitation. And they think, I, I can't sit still. And fairly quickly, um, it becomes evident to them, especially in the group, that they can. And I have, over the years, Ron, um, the first class, second class perhaps, there'll be a lot of rustling and movement. And then only by the third, there's a lot of quiet in the room. People learn, even surprise themselves, about how quickly they can be still, especially when we're together. We forget the power that, of being a social species, which is also true in yoga and meditation. Absolutely, because you know how it is. You're not going to come out of the pose before the person next to you. You're going to stay still in that pose until you actually can release yourself. Um, and, and I want to debunk something. You don't have to touch your toes to do yoga. <laughs> you <Right>. don't. <laughs> yoga is not about touching your toes. It's not about getting the perfect yoga body. And, you know, people come in for many different reasons. But um, there are ways in which uh, both Ken and I make our practices accessible to other people. It's the demystification, I think, is, is a key word here because Anybody can do yoga. Anybody can meditate. It's just a matter of finding the right person to guide you. And that's that's the best thing I could say about yoga. Yeah, picking up on that, how, how do you find the right person? I think, you know, we talked about this before in terms of where do you find teachers? How do you decide on someone? And it seems to me that it's a lot of it is trial and error. Yeah, it is. You can do a Google search and, and see what's close to you. Most of it's location. Um, check out the website, see if you like the vibe, you know, give yourself three different opportunities to try something. Um, and you can see what their bios are with their teachers. Most teachers are certified. So, you know, you're in good hands, but you trust your own body. You've been living with your body much longer than that individual who's leading the class. And, and uh, where, Region does matter. There are many places still in the South or the Midwest or the um, other parts, corners of the country where, you know, there's one yoga studio uh, within an hour, two hours drive. So if you're going to do yoga, you're going to do it in your living room with a video. 
uh, or on from the internet, or you're going to drive a distance. Of course, in big cities, on the, in the New York metro area, in California, elsewhere, it's a you have a cornucopia of classes to pick from. But basically, uh, very very simply, there's very restorative yoga. There's alignment based yoga, which is um, really focused on the details of the body. And there's more vigorous yoga uh, of vinyasa or ashtanga, they're often called, or flow yoga. And depending what somebody wants, if they want more vigor, um, uh, more exercise, or they want something restorative and relaxing, or they want to align themselves and deal with the aches and pains of life and aging, you find the class and the teacher that's right for you. Right, right. Yeah, it seems to me that a lot of it comes down to um, also just making a certain commitment. And as you pointed out earlier, just being able to, to, to not, you know, stop yourself before you start and, and create obstacles where there aren't obstacles. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'd like to bring up a, a little bit more about um, the kinds of unusual situations that you've uh, uh, worked with yoga um, with patients, or not patients, but rather with uh, people um, that uh, we might not think are involved in yoga. But I'm going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to do a lot more about these kinds of situations and listen to your stories and anecdotes that I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in. So stay right there, everyone. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Ken Taub and Lisa Kingsbury about yoga and meditation. Now, before we continue, I just want to let you know that you can find out much more about both Lisa and Ken uh, on my website, rowellresources.com. You just click on the site and hit um, 45 forward, and you can find out uh, more about them and their practices. And also, they have they assembled for me a good list of resources that you'll find there, including um, the uh, website for Lisa and Ken's Amba Yoga, and um, all sorts of different resources to find out more about yoga and meditation so that, uh, you know, 
we don't need to spend time just providing a litany, litany of, uh, of, of resources. So now folks, let me uh, ask you about um, the different ways that uh, yoga and meditation um, uh, have been used, um, you know, in ways people might not have thought to, to help people in the, you know, sometimes they're, they're uh, just uh, participants and sometimes they're more patients in terms of what their needs are, what their problems are. And I know the Lisa, you've talked to me about uh, some of your interactions with athletes. Yeah, there's such an array of experiences that I've had over the last 20 plus years of teaching um, from working with um, large um, individuals who are wheelchair bound, um, who need oxygen. I was teaching them breathing techniques. And one woman said to me once on occasion, I ran out of oxygen. They took a long time, but I just quieted my breath like you taught me. And I was able to just breathe a little slower. Another woman came to me for anxiety on a one-on-one -on -one and she found that it was really helpful for her to do this one specific pose. It just calmed her right down. And she was thrilled that she could use that at any time in any place. Um, the more, uh, the deeper relationships that I found is uh, I had, for whatever reason, three individuals who came to me one-on-one -on -one who all had Parkinson's. And it's such a debilitating disease. It's, it's really a wicked, wicked thing. And through their dedication to coming every single week, and some actually came to class as well, they were able to set at bay uh, uh, some of the debilitating aspects of losing control of their body. But more importantly than that, they felt empowered. They felt empowered by the, the ability to uh, stretch and to move and to feel good in their bodies without having to wait for something else to happen. And that's one of the, the really amazing things is seeing people uh, blossom in, in the yoga practice from being able to say, all right, I'm feeling stressed out. What can I do? You don't have to go to somebody else. You can, you can really absorb the practice and make it your own. Right. How about you, Ken? What are some of the situations that you've encountered that you've been able to really help people in, in different kinds of ways? Um, I guess the answer is uh, the human condition, which we all share. Um, and as a teacher of mine once said, an, adva an advanced teacher, um, if we could, if we could go to the beach every day, <laughs> mm -hmm. most of us wouldn't do meditation. <laughs> but uh, even in California or Southern Florida, uh, life is not always uh, a beach. And people have come to me in all the states that we exist in, and and not just the stress and anxiety of life, especially modern life, but the, uh, people have come who are seriously ill going through chemotherapy or um, uh, advanced uh, physical therapy after an accident or having lost a, a loved one, uh, things that are serious, serious pain. And um, all of us have uh, our stresses with work and kids, um, family, finances, and oh, a little global pandemic this past year. So we all enter 
um, the uh, a meditation class um, filled with a lot of stuff and um, it doesn't magically go away, but what can happen, whether you're just having a really rough patch or going through chemotherapy or something else equally serious is that it doesn't magically go away, but you literally learn to sit with it and you change your relationship to the physical pain, to the stress, to the underlying anxiety, um, to what you're going through. Um, a shift can happen where you are not under its thumb. You are seeing it more clearly, even dancing with it, even some fairly terrible things. Right. Absolutely. And yoga can do that too. Sometimes I'll say to my students, all right, rather than thinking about a confrontation that you're having with a family member, think about, oh, which pose is this? Is this warrior three? Is this why I'm struggling here? So take it, take it back to your cushion or back to your mat. And, and they tend to give you that freedom so that your situation doesn't necessarily change. That relative doesn't go away. That loved one is still gone or you're still fighting uh, a very serious illness, but it's your, attitude towards it. It's your approach to it, whether you feel more empowered by your practice, whether you feel like you're just aware that it's there. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that just happen subtly. And all of a sudden you find, oh, I'm not fighting this as much as I used to, or uh, I'm not as caught up by the drama of it all. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, as you were saying that I was thinking back. Uh, so a few years ago, I, I had a uh, job in the city. Uh, it was a sort of a three-year stint. Uh, I was working for the city university. And uh, um, one day, um, uh, the supervisor thought, management thought, oh, let's bring in this person. And she brought in a form of chair yoga. And, uh, you know, and, and people really enjoyed it. It was good. And and of course, they never did it again. <laughs> but exactly. But, but, um, but I, I, so, but I, I liked this woman. I thought she was good. And so I made a point of tracking her down and doing um, uh, private lessons with her for about three or four months until the situation changed and the job changed and so forth. But I did find it interesting that, you know, and I would sort of call it my sneaky yoga. I mean, I would just say to people, I'm going out for two hours. I'll see you later. And, and they knew, and they thought that's great. Um, but, you know, as you were saying this, you know, the, the time that I spent there, um, it happens quickly where you can change your sense of, of yourself and the way you react to things, as you were saying, Ken. Um, and I did find that after just spending an hour there and then walking back, I came back to the office and and people could see, it's like, this is a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that really is, uh, you know, and I, uh, I think that people need to understand that it, it's not something also that can that takes you know months and months. It can happen very quickly. Oh yeah, I can go. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say I can go midday in and practice in our meditation room, and come back out, and Ken can noticeably see a different person come out of the yoga room. Absolutely. I mean, she's so adept that she knows exactly what to do if she's excited or tired or a little achy or this this or that but also 
it, it allows her it allows her to shift. And even if we don't have the experience that Lisa has, it can allow us to shift. It comes down to something that's not really complex, but it, it also has to be experienced. Our lives are, of course, so busy sometimes as to make us dizzy. And we're like swirling ponds full of, of, of silt and various debris. We've all seen little eddies in ponds or at the shore. And most of our lives do not allow us to let the swirling stop or the silt settle. So the magic of a good yoga session or even just 20 minutes of meditation is you'll find whatever's going through your head, you start to settle. It is like uh, an eddy, a little whirlpool in a, in a lake or a pond slowly settling. And it doesn't make anything magically go away. It just allows for settling and quiet. It is an opening. It is a space. And we don't have many openings and, and uh, that kind of space in our life. No, and in, in fact, it's almost as if you go, go, go all day long. And then when you lie down to go to sleep and you close your eyes and you say, ah, and taking a break to do your meditation practice, taking a break to do a pose or two of yoga is like that. You just close your eyes and you stop. And it doesn't take that long to make a shift. You don't have to be, but even a minute, um, you know, like they have these commercials now. I think it's for the Calm app. Right. And it's just silence on TV for 20 seconds. <laughs> and it's that. It's just finding your breath, feeling your, well, as I say to some people, find your feet, feel your breath, and a whole lot of things can change in a few, a few moments. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that you had said, Ron, was, you know, you, uh, people do it once and then they go, well, do I have to commit to this long thing? Um, a lot of this is, is extremely simple. We have come to believe, even as fairly as moderns and, and educated adults, that we can't do this, that we don't know how to meditate, that we don't know how to do some of the things we see or imagine yoga being or meditation. And the truth of the matter is, is we can. We actually can. There's nothing so demanding so esoteric, so difficult that almost anyone I've ever met cannot do it. You can allow yourself to be quiet and to settle and to just be there. Yeah. Rather than, like Lisa said, wait for 1130 at night when the whole day is swirling around you and you people wonder, why can't I fall asleep? You haven't given yourself, most of us have not given ourselves five, 10, 15 minutes to just sit and to be. Right. And to digest, because it's like you have to let those thoughts settle down into the silt of that swirling eddy, the, right. the water. Right. Yeah, it seems that uh, a lot of these um, habits are really uh, were part of our original practice and that we lost them along the way. Yeah. And that, you know, technology you know, has done some wonderful things, but especially with the advent of uh, um, 
you know, smartphones, let's be blunt about it, and, um, and smart media, um, I think we, we've just, we put ourselves in this position where we are constantly um, riven from, from being with ourselves to something else. I mean, you know, even, even our phones, I mean, and, and I spent many years in the news media and I can see even there, you know, the, the progression to this constant, you know, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Right. It's like, <laughs> I'm, you've broken me already. Don't break, I don't need any more breaking news. Right. And it's but, this compunction that it's like, well, you know, you, you have to constantly shift your attention to something, to something else. It's really, it's really an addictive, you know. Uh, and, al- and also too, I think that there is a, there's too much importance placed on keeping moving. There's not enough importance placed on reflection, that there is a purpose for standing back and just taking a look at something. I mean, I learned that a lot in architecture. We were always on a deadline. And we, I never made time to reflect and just stand and look at the drawings, look at the project, see how it is as a whole. And errors are made that way. And so to a certain extent, I think with the tools that unfortunately have come about with uh, modern day, we are shown a way of of doing constantly. So we're not a human being, we're a human doing. And I know it's an old adage, but it's true. You, I like to try and teach my son, you you have to be bored sometimes because in that space of boredom, things happen. There's creativity, there's insight, there's inspiration. Um, and, And so, you know, both of these practices bring us back to that. We, um, we grew up <laughs> when our parents would say to us, you've been sitting in front of the television for three hours already, go out and play or do your homework <laughs> or some such thing. And we had, you know, we did have the TV and we had our radios, little transistors before the boom boxes on the beach. But now everybody is plugged in almost all the time. Uh, constant email and you finish work to go on social media and there becomes a sense that if you unplug you're going to miss something mm-hmm. something important's going to happen in the news with your children with your family with your job with something you believe we've come to believe that if we unplug we miss something important or as human beings we miss out we're afraid to unplug And we now, most of us who've been, you know, for the last 20 years uh, on the World Wide Web and living with social media, realize that there's a downside. And it is even harder to carve some space for yourself for some downtime and alone time and quiet time and how healthy it is. We if we can afford it and before COVID, you'd have to go away to, you know, a beach in the Caribbean <laughs> and have no devices. You go, oh yes, this, this. Um, and frankly, because of work and the way our society is wired, it's sometimes easier said than done. So it's essential if it's not meditation or, um, or yoga 
than being in your backyard staring at the fire in your fire pit to have five or 10 or 15 minutes to quiet, to reflect for some stillness. I mean, it's, it's healthy, if not essential. Right. Well, right. well there's also too, there's this weird uh, manifestation now with COVID and how so many people have to be on Zoom in order to uh, get their education if they're kids. Uh, to teach if they're teachers, to do their business if they are, are, you know, able to work remotely. And there's a, you know, you have to stay connected that way. So it's almost as if you're so plugged in, you don't know how to unplug. And there's a physical re reaction to doing so much Zooming too, which I think is starting to come to the fore. You know, very much like having too much typing with your thumbs where you have cell phone thumbs or whatever it's called, texting thumbs. Yes. And do you remember the, uh, <clears throat> those of you out there remember the Jet Jetsons? Right. Where Jane had push buttonitis, <laughs> 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 which I think became carpal tunnel and other Yeah, things. exactly. Carpal but, tunnel syndromes and tendonitis <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there is it was always important right. to have right. some quiet time. And now in the 21st century, it is not very easy. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think that a lot of these are, uh, and we're, we're coming up to, uh, I'm going to take another broken break in, in a few seconds, but I just wanted to mention, I'd like to talk more about this, uh, um, just about, because a lot of it seems to me, you know, again, we think about we're changing to something different, but in fact, we're changing back to the way that we were. You know, it's what I call back to the future, you know. And I think that uh, and a lot of that, when I was doing my practice, dealt with uh, things like breathing, learning, relearning how to re breathe as we originally did. So when we come back, let's talk more about that, about how we get back to where we were and how we bring it back into our lives in a, in a constant way. So see you in a few seconds. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. 
That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. I'm talking with Lisa Kingsbury and Ken Taub, instructors in yoga and meditation, uh, respectively. Uh, before the break, we were just talking about sort of relearning how we were, you know, and it, everything from breathing to reflection. You know, and I remember as a kid, um, you know, we lived uh, in, that, in those days, uh, the suburbs were still the wilds uh, outside New York. And I, I remember I would go out and, um, you know, and as Ken was saying, when mom would say, hey, go out and play, you know, just get out of the house. You know, there were, there were four of us, you know, at one point, you know, under age 10, you know, so it was like, yeah, go out and play. But I remember going out and um, uh, maybe it was partly to just get away from the hustle and bustle of um, family life, but I would go out into the woods in the back of our house and I would just sit there and I would just, you know, look around and I would just observe and, you know, and I would just be quiet, um, you know, to the point where, you know, after, you know, an hour or so people would come looking for me, but I was fine. <laughs> I was fine. And, and I think that people, um, you know, that was sort of my early um, space of meditation, just saying, you know, just look at what's there. And I think that, I think we have to, you know, in some ways, disrupt what we're doing to recreate those moments. It, it, it becomes extremely hard and rare. Many of us can remember from our youth, not only long family trips, but just being age two to 12, what have you, in the back of the car, and you'd lay your head against the, the back rear window, and you'd look out at the road, and there was no smartphone. We weren't, pl- we weren't gaming. We had no earbuds in. We were just staring out at the at, at the road uh, as 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 it passed by. We had time to just let the mind run free and to and 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 to and to settle. And I don't know what it's doing to us to have very little of that time in the backyard, out sitting and just looking, and not being plugged in. So. I think we all realize that sleep and dreaming are fairly essential for physical and mental health. And uh, yoga and meditation have gotten very, very popular, not because everybody's gotten magically mystical at once, because there's a sense that we need this. We need this quiet. We need the centering. Mm -hmm. Um, We're missing it. Yeah, and also, too, there is a physiological state that occurs when you're practicing yoga or you're doing breathing. We are so often put into a place of the stress response, the fight or flight, and uh, that's where disease occurs. They talk a lot about that in current medical journals, not to mention just even on your breaking news. So, The thing is, is when we do yoga, when we start to breathe a little bit more slowly, when we start to pause just for a brief moment, the body shifts back into a different state in which the body remembers how to heal itself. So that's one of the key aspects about doing this practice, that in that way of reflecting, you can remember, because your body knows how to breathe, you just have to listen to it. 
you know how to stand. I mean, my first uh, teacher and my mentor, he said, you know, your, your parents were your first yoga teacher because you did what they did to stand. You know, so how many of us in our family stand the same way that our parents do? Uh, maybe it's not, you know, biologically predisposed for you to stand on your right foot with your left hip kicked out. Who, who, who the heck knows? You know, I think that's just sort of a teenage affectation. But, you know, we know how to do this given the opportunity. And like Ken said earlier about his meditation, I just feel like a tour guide. I'm just a little further down the road than somebody else here that's had the the opportunity to to get out of a very high stress corporate job that had 60 hour to 80 hour work weeks and go into something that's more humane, that's more balanced. And, and you can just feel much better about everything. Now, do you think we need to really reinstitute some, some boundaries here? And when I say that, I mean, I, I know that, you know, the people have, have instituted things like car free days, like, Let's get away from the car. Let's do that for a day. See what happens. Or do that for a couple of days, car-free weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know it's probably nigh impossible, but it just seems that there are times when we should say, and I know that some you know, parents are doing this with their kids saying, you know, this is a cell phone-free afternoon or something like that. And, and also, it seemed to me that would be very helpful for um for adults, <laughs> frankly, sure. um, because I think that um, it is an addictive thing and, it, and it's a compulsive thing that you need to respond to it. And, um, you know, even when I go uh, on medical appointments, I, I've had some issues. I've gone to, I've been physical therapy and I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, on the table and I, people around me and they've got their phones up and I'm like, put your phone down. You're trying to heal your body. Let it go for an I'm sure nothing's going to happen in an hour. Maybe it will, but you know what? You'll find out in, in you know, 59 minutes. So uh, yeah. um, what do you think? Well, I, we, taking a break, <laughs> our ideas of taking a break is going on vacation for most adults who, ha- who are able to do so. And we find that it takes about three days to settle body and mind. We have three days of relaxation wherever we are. Uh, and then we have to get ready to go back. Right. Re-entry. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, social media. Um, I've been working primarily from home for like 15 years, a long time. And then we've had the pandemic. So I'm on Facebook more than I should be, but I have the time and I enjoy sharing. And um, uh, many people are saying, okay, I'm going to take a break for a few days. I'm getting off Facebook for a month. Um, I know one person who went off for the last four years during the last administration. And I don't know what their political affiliation was, but they didn't want anything to do with all the ruckus for four years. And when she came back, I thought, good for you, how wise. So, yeah, you need some time off social media and off gaming um, and... um, the problem then becomes how do you do that? Because you can't implement that as a, okay, it, like you have Earth Day, it's going to be no device day. Nobody's going to follow that. I think one of the ways I 
that most families get the abrupt awakening is when we lose power and we don't have any device to use. And so we end up playing Monopoly or talking to one another or having dinner outside on the back deck and thinking, oh, how wonderful is this? We should do this more often. And it lasts for how long before you go back to your old habits? Right. So, you know, it's, it's, I think you have to be aware and implement it on your own or you have parents or friends or family members that cajole you into doing something other than. Um, I, I don't see it as a universal stop your stop your device day. Right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest we have a you know a, a uh, you know an occasional power outage day intentionally. <laughs> no, I don't like those. No, thank you. <laughs> little little grid, too, the grid is down. Or, yeah, a little or, or, or blackout. No, right. no. Degrid day, yes. But, but <laughs> yeah. here's that term, right? That you know, let's. I, I'm off the grid for a while, and I think that's. Yeah. I think that's what it means. I mean, one thing that I think you know, this is personal for me, but I think one way to to um, to get to this, I think, I think especially as we get older, I think there is increasingly, um, you know, um, physiological evidence that uh, people who are more in touch with nature, as you, especially as you get older. Um, are physiologically healthier. Sure. And I think to me, that's, that to me, there's a connection there somehow with meditation and, and the sense of being mindful of, of, the, of, you know, not only who you are, but who you are in relation to everything else. Exactly. I know, Ken, you, you had some experiences with um, one of my favorite authors, Peter Matheson, years ago. Oh. And uh, I hadn't realized that um, Matheson was involved in, in meditation as well until you yeah. told me. But that makes sense to me. He was, he, uh, the late great Peter Matheson was not only one of America's great naturalists and, and, and nature writers, he was, he became a, a Zen Roshi. Uh, he got into it for many years and, be, and had a strong practice and became a teacher. And it was very wonderful to go out to the east end of Long Island, farther east than we are, and spend some time with him. Um, but there was a connection in him with his love of nature, of his great sense of exploration and his meditation and his Zen practice. They were not uh, parallel horses. They were uh, intertwined like two strands of, of, uh, of, of DNA. And um, there is, um, you realize that meditation and yoga, even though you have to learn how to do them, um, have an element of naturalness to them. And uh, many of us realize quickly that we're not living uh, in a natural world or in the natural world. Right. And it is one portal to get back to that. Right. It really is. Right, right. Now, um, I know that there, you know, it, it's still there, some people, you know, there's a trepidation about, um, you know, starting yoga or, meditation. And uh, so what do you guys say to people who, who have hesitation about it and, and um, you know, are just reluctant for whatever reason, like they, they don't want to make a commitment or, um, uh, or whatever, you know, how do you, how do you basically, you know, just encourage them, you know, uh, suggest. I would say go with start. a friend. <laughs> friends always drag you along everywhere. That's always fun. I have a lot of people coming in with friends or uh, father-daughter or mother-daughter. Uh, 
that that's one way to do it is have some camaraderie about it. So it's something that you do with somebody right. else. Right. That's always really fun. And I've said to people many times, uh, especially for yoga, because I, I, I've taken yoga classes at our, at our yoga play. Uh, they said, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I say, listen, just give yourself three to six months and talk to me then. Nothing will happen magically in two to three weeks. Give yourself three to six months and then talk to me. The number of people, Ron, that I've had come back to me and said, thank you for that important upfront caveat. Um, uh, things are different now in my body and, and, uh, and with me. Even just coming to yoga once or twice a week for four, five, six months. Um, it can make a difference. And the only way that you can learn the difference it makes is to do it. Right, right. And, and just to watch it from the safety of your home or read up on it or whatever it is that makes you feel more comfortable. Like I say to people, I have to reassure them when I first talk to them about, you know, what's involved. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So just speaking to somebody who is the teacher or is the director of the studio or the meditation center that you want to go to makes it a little bit more personalized, a little less cold and, and unknown. Right. Right. So we just have a couple more minutes before we uh, unfortunately have to close this conversation. Um, uh, so I just wanted to uh, thank you guys um, for a, a great conversation. You've been terrific guests and we can keep it going even after the show. You can, people have questions for you. How do they reach you? What's the best way to reach you folks? Well, the easiest way to reach me is just to go to ambayoga.com and there's a whole array of, of uh, emails links all over the site and feel free to email me and ask me any questions you might have about yoga. I always love talking to people about yoga and, and Ken's emails on there as well. Um, but my email, if you want it directly is LK at ambayoga.com. Great. Great. Okay. So thanks again, folks. Uh, now for those of you out there, be sure to join me next Monday, uh, 12 noon Pacific, 3 PM Eastern. And I'll be talking with Mark Miller, a nationally known journalist and podcast and author who writes about the trends in retirement and aging. And he offers a unique and uh, I think holistic perspective and you want to hear all about it. So again, folks, have a great week and I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.